Jim James has built businesses from a suitcase on three continents over 25 years, all using public relations. Having grown up in Europe, Africa, and America, it was perhaps inevitable that Jim would move to Singapore at the age of 27 to start his first company, East West Public Relations. Jim hosts the Unnoticed Entrepreneur Podcast to help entrepreneurs get noticed for all they do with tools and tips for public relations. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. The Navy Federal flagship credit card treats members to our highest rewards and premium benefits. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Jim James, host of the Unnoticed Entrepreneur Podcast. Jim, you've led a very interesting life, lived all over the world. Looking forward to really hearing about that. So take us back and tell us a little bit about your life and where you're coming from. Joe, thank you so much for having me on the show. And Veterans on the Move is such a great mission and such a great podcast. I know now you've been publishing it for about nine years, so I'm very blessed that you've invited me on. Thank you. Um, Joe, so... You know, I'm the host of The Unnoticed Entrepreneur, so I've been an entrepreneur myself since um, I was 27. I first moved to Singapore to start my first company, which was a public relations company. And then I moved to China in 2006 to start the PR firm there and then started to import British sports cars, drinks, and some other things. But the kind of the entrepreneur journey started when I was 18 and something that I think many of your listeners, Joe, will, will, will think is very easy, but for me at the time was pretty scary. And that's I, I jumped out of a plane at the age of 18 to raise money to go to Australia. And I was terrified of heights, but I raised enough money to take an expedition. And, and it was that kind of jumping out of a plane and realizing that I could make money and get publicity for doing something that started my life as an entrepreneur. So you... The jumping out of an airplane thing, you somehow came up with the idea, how do I get a bunch of attention? I'll go jump out of an airplane and you got uh, some money, some sponsorship and some attention from it. And that's what triggered you to really be in the in the PR business uh, for a long time after. Exactly, Joe. And, you know, I did something I was afraid of myself because, you know, <laughs> afraid of heights. Uh, I was in on the uh, Empire State Building uh, when we were when we were kids who lived in America, in uh, in Boulder and in Colorado and also South Carolina and in New York, I was at the Empire State Building. I was the one who wouldn't look over the edge. You know, <laughs> I was an absolute scaredy cat. Um, but yeah, doing something that pushed me out of my comfort zone and then figuring out that other people would pay me to do that was the genesis of making money, not by the hour, but by doing something, by adding some value. And that was really the beginning of it, Joe. Wow. So. What was it like? I think you said when you were about 27, you moved to Singapore and started a business. So you started multiple businesses from other countries, living sort yes. of the expat life. What, what was the initial years like with that like? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I was lucky enough as a child to live in Africa and live in America. And I worked um, all over the world, but I got kind of tired with corporate life, really, Joe, fairly, fairly quickly, actually. So I went to Singapore with a couple of suitcases thinking there's a future here. This is in the 
mid-90s, so 1995, at the risk of dating myself. Um, and, you know, this is pre-internet, Joe. I mean, if you remember though, back to those days, you know, oh, yeah. um, we just had the beginnings of Yahoo and, and Google in 94, 95. So going to Asia as a young man with a couple of suitcases on a tourist visa was really a, a wonderful and exciting adventure. Now I now I realize how far away I went and with, you know, so little security, um, it was a little bit mad. But within a, within a couple of years, I built one of the biggest independent PR firms. I specialized in B2B and tech, um, specifically the music industry in Southeast Asia. So for anyone that's thinking about a business and if you're going to do a business in a in another country altogether, you know, one of the lessons I learned was to focus, you know, and, and to really know what not to do because there were so many other variables. You know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a place to live. You know, I stayed um, in a hotel for a week and then realized I was, I was going to run out of money very quickly, yeah. you know, so there were too many other variables. So by focusing on one service for one industry, I was able to get some good cash flow going. You know, focusing when you're starting a business, that that extreme focus, niching down to what your avatar is, is can be very important. And it's it's not a real natural thing to do because a lot of times when we start a business, we we want everybody to be interested in our new business or product or service. Um, but if you do that then you don't even know who you're talking to. You don't even know who you're trying to serve. And so you do have to niche it down to the point where when that person finds you, they're already sold because everything you do and say is already formulated towards them. And, and Joe, you know, it's the hardest thing to do when you start a business because you're so insecure about being in business that you think if I offer to do kind of anything for anybody, I'm bound to get some work, right? That's yeah. Almost like, you know, you think if I go to a party and I try and meet everybody, I'll make a friend. And and actually what you kind of need to do is to go and decide who it is you really want to talk to and just make sure you listen for when they're ready to be spoken with and 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 take the risk that there may be other opportunities that you miss, but that you do manage to solve uh, the problem that you have for that one client. And what, what actually happened was that, and that was my first lesson. And the second lesson, Joe, was about cash flow. So what happened was I, I, I found a client and they were in Hong Kong and I was in Singapore. So a good six hours flying, you know, it's been like arriving in New York, but getting your first client in LA, right? I mean, it was <laughs> a, a little bit dark, especially this is pre-internet. We had a, had a phone pager um, as a way to stay in touch. But I had a client in Hong Kong and within a three months, I'd sold $100,000 worth of of printing and marketing services to this client in Hong Kong. But I had to pay the printer in advance because I didn't have any credit. And so at the end of three months, actually, my balance sheet looked great. I had all these invoices issued, but I only had $50 left in the bank. Yeah. And what I hadn't figured out, a couple of things. One is you must pre-bill. You know, if you're going to get any um, accounts payable on behalf of a client, you need to make sure that the client carries the cost because right. what I managed to do was then go to Hong Kong um, and say to this client, you need, you need to give me the cash. And luckily I knew him well enough that he gave me the cash, but also what happened was that 
he said, I won't give you it all until I've seen the goods, right? Because right. he was worried that I was going to then fly back to Singapore and take a hundred grand with me. Right. So I got from him a margin. I got a check in those days. I got a check. Um, <laughs> and I went back to my printer and I said, here's the first tranche of the money. And here's the invoice. And here's the contract with the company. And I even said, here's the business card of the company that's bought this printed material. So if, if I don't come through for you, you go and talk to him directly, right? Said, I need you to release the goods in advance. Um, and it was only through that discussion with the, with the supplier in Singapore and the brokering with the client in Hong Kong that I managed to release the 100 grand, pay him off and keep my 20. But I had other friends who lost their businesses very quickly through overtrading. We don't talk about that often, Joe, but overtrading can be as big a danger as undertrading. And so you can get lots of sales, but unless you ensure somehow that you get your client to underwrite the costs of any fixed costs, then you can really, really go wrong. So what I always do, and ever since, I'll always invoice 70 to 80% in advance from a client. I might forego my margin until after the job's delivered. Um, but I, I very nearly lost everything. And, and that has stayed with me for nearly 30 years, Joe. So again, it's a little, a little point, but it's not often written about in the books because it's, it's kind of in the weeds a little bit uh, as a business uh, area. Yeah. That's one of those things you don't realize, you don't realize the impact of that. And actually now there's even big financial companies out there that if you can show them invoices, if you can show them accounts receivables, you got money coming, they'll, they'll give you the money themselves for their yeah. margin. So you're, you're selling, right. you're selling your presale or you're selling your future in future revenue. Yeah. So the banks call it factoring in the UK. Factoring, they call it factoring. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so there, and as you say, there are now specialist service providers that will lend you money against future revenue. But anyway, so, I learned that was another lesson, uh, Joe, that I learned when I went to Singapore about, about cash flow management. So I, I found my avatar, got the business, and then learned about cash flow um, as well. And I think the, the other thing I learned was to keep it all really simple. You know, at the beginning, Joe, I had, you know, spoke to people. They said, you could do this, you could do that, you know. And I was so keen to learn that I was taking advice from so many people that I lost track of what my own business was. And so I, I built systems, especially in things like the invoicing, that were you know, just way too complicated for the size of, of what I was running. So you know, after six months, I had to kind of unpick everything and, and simplify again. So I think one of the other lessons that I learned was to build systems that are right for the size of the business and let the systems grow as the business grows rather than to worry too much about building really complicated systems that, that in the end take more time um, than they deliver value. Yeah. And there's no doubt, you know, especially a solopreneur, new company needs to pay attention to those systems. But sometimes the a problem with a lot of our software and apps and everything else is they're designed to do as much as possible but you only really need to do one or two of those things and finding those one or two things in that is almost impossible because you're, you're pummeled with everything else that this tool does. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and in a way, because the, um, you know, the software developers all have um, feature creep, right? <laughs> and because yeah. they want to keep you subscribing, they keep adding new features and you're like, well, actually, I didn't really need it for that. Loom is a great example. You know, I use Loom for screen recording and it, and it just does the one job very well. You know, there are others like yeah. ScreenPal that have got much more functionality, but you don't always use it. So keeping things simple, Joe, was, you know, one of the other lessons that I, that I learned in Singapore. I used to use Loom until they started charging. <laughs> Once you go beyond, I think, five minutes or something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but but anyways, all, the, all these great tools. Um, and then the, I, perhaps if I can, the last thing that I learned from Singapore was um, to get involved, you know? So a business exists as um, the network that you're a member of, a, a part of. So these days you have digital networks with LinkedIn and Facebook and so on. But in the time, it was the physical network. So I joined the Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. and you know, became a board member and really made sure that I played a role in the community that I was part of. Because, you know, where I lived in England, you know, I had my neighborhood, I had my connections with school and university, but in a new country, you really have to work at that network, Joe. And you know, as well as I do, that the network really is, is your resource from hiring and, uh, and getting clients and recruiting. So that was the other thing that I made a real point of doing that anyone that's Think about starting a business in a new country. Look at how you can get involved in the community in some way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, was what were some of the obstacles starting a business in a foreign country? I mean, there are a lot of a lot of foreign countries don't allow you to don't allow you to work or don't allow you to own property or don't allow you to even have bank accounts if you're not if you're not one of their citizens. Yeah. So perhaps I can share the story of going to China. So what I do is at the age of forty, Joe. I decided to try and have another adventure, right? So I went from Singapore, where I built an agency, um, to China, where I didn't know the language, but I thought after 2001, it was going to be one of the world's biggest markets for so many things. It was well worth going. So in terms of starting a business where I didn't speak the language and there were many more obstacles, one was from a legal point of view, if you have your home country, in this particular case, Singapore was now my home. I was a Singapore permanent resident. So I used my Singapore company to open uh, what they call a wholly owned foreign enterprise in China. So one little workaround is if you want to go to another country, let's say you want to go to Dubai or you want to go to Malaysia or America, is if you set up a company where you do have some rights, you set up the country in the new host, uh, the company in the new host country, as a subsidiary. Oh. So what I do is in China, I created a subsidiary of my Singapore company, flew to China, and I employed myself as the company director and chief representative of the Singapore company in China. Really? So, yeah, so that's the way to do that. And so there's, there are ways, many, there's ways to figure it out. Yeah, there's yeah. always a way, um, I think. And then... Um, you know, that's where offshore banking comes in. And now it's a lot easier with platforms like Wise, for example, where you can transfer currencies around. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one workaround. And then, um, you know, learning the language, the key was then to hire people that were bilingual. Yeah. You know, people you could trust. And so when I started the car business, which is importing Morgan sports cars to China, I actually recruited in the UK for young Chinese that were studying in England. 
and that were going to come back to China. So I actually recruited on the university websites in the UK yeah. uh, to get people that were coming back to Beijing to work. So building a network around me of people that were um, Anglophiles, that were bilingual, um, was one of the solutions to not having a network or a language skill. Wow. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Be right back. Navy Federal Credit Union is here to help military members and their families tackle homeownership during this high-rate market. They offer mortgage options with zero down payment, so you don't need to wait years to save. With their new no-refi rate drop option, if you buy your next home now and mortgage rates drop later, you can lower your rate by paying a low fee instead of refinancing and paying thousands in closing costs. Flagship makes it easy to rack up rewards with higher points on travel, including everything from tolls to terminals. I know firsthand, as I've had a Navy Federal flagship credit card for a couple decades, and we use our points for plane tickets and hotels all the time. Earn a bonus of 40,000 points when you spend $4,000 in the first 90 days. Plus, enjoy a free year of Amazon Prime. At Navy Federal, our members of the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership required. Equal housing lender. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval and eligibility requirements. Open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. As of May 1st, 2023, the rates for flagship are 14.74% to 18% APR based on creditworthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy federal ATMs. $49 annual fee for Visa Signature Flagships rewards. Guys, you ready to boost your testosterone and get your old self back? Our sponsor, Nugenics Total T, is offering a complimentary bottle when you text 231-231 and enter keyword veteran. If you've been out for a while and not keeping up with your PT regime like you should, working on that dad bod, having less energy, it might not be you. I did some research and turns out we all have a natural loss of testosterone as we get older. I've experienced it myself. Now you can get that old fire back with Nugenics. Want more energy, more power to fight the negative physical effects of aging? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your life. Nugenics is the number one doctor-recommended testosterone boosting brand. And now you get a complimentary bottle when you text 231-231 and enter keyword veteran. Nugenics Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients like Testafin. It has been shown in clinical studies to boost free testosterone levels in men. This is the unprecedented formula with science-backed key ingredients to safely maximize your free and total testosterone levels, help you increase muscle mass, and skyrocket your performance as you age. Nugenics is the number one selling testosterone boosting brand at GNC and Walmart. Nugenics Total Tea can help re-energize your life and help you get back that powerful, confident, good-looking warrior you used to be. If you're not totally satisfied, Nugenics will refund 100% of your purchase price, plus shipping and processing. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231231 and enter the keyword veteran. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, our newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you lose fat and get lean fast, absolutely free. Text 231231, enter the keyword veteran. Text 231231 and enter the keyword veteran. Text and enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Number one doctor recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022, YT lower third. Get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T Plus bottle of Nugenics Thermo X Free when you text veteran to 231-231. All right, back talking with Jim James, host of the Unnoticed Entrepreneur Podcast. So Jim, 
Um, you, you were talking before the break about starting a new business uh, overseas, uh, in this case, Singapore, and then a subsidiary in China. So one, one of your specialties is, is getting a new business noticed. Yeah, exactly, Joe. Yeah, so talk a little bit about, because a lot of people don't think about that. Like nowadays we're like, oh, I got to get a website. I got to get my Instagram and my TikTok going and start throwing stuff out there. But how do you actually get your new business noticed? Well, I think there's a, a couple of things there, Joe. One is, first of all, I think if you're going to start a new business, as we talked about earlier on, is about knowing who the avatar is. You know, what can you do so that the people that you want to know about you will see you? The next thing I think is that getting all those usual infrastructure, website, business card, email, and so on, all absolutely need to be done. But the real challenge, if you have a new business, is to differentiate yourself from what everybody else is doing because there are very few businesses that you can do that will be the first, to be honest, right? So uh, often it's as much about being different as it is about being better because different can be almost easier to identify with and better sometimes can seem just like you're being competitive or comparative. So personally, I like to try and create an opportunity for people to engage with the brand in a spectacular way. So if I can give you an example, I was importing Morgan sports cars to China and they're an amazingly beautiful looking car. And I thought about the normal, the normal strategies, but in the end, what I did was I took the car, which is a design of the 1930s and I drove it into the forbidden city, you know, which is a, you know, several hundred year old building. Well, thousand year old building in the yeah. center of Beijing. Now I, I drove in there with a film crew without any permits because you're not allowed to drive into the forbidden city as you can imagine, Joe. Yeah. But what we did is we, we drove in, got the crowd, took lots of pictures before the police came, got lots of crowds and so on. Now, as a result of that picture, we were able to get front cover of a magazine. And then I was able to use that magazine coverage to get in front of other magazines and then to get distributors and get the car in front of the British embassy for events. So if you can find a way to do something with your brand, I had a car, but it doesn't have to be a car. Um, there's the guy in Florida who has, it's called the bananas, the baseball team, yeah. isn't it? Um, and, you know, he has the yellow suit and Savannah they make everything bananas, in yeah. Savannah Bananas, right? Um, (laughs) But you've heard of it, Joe, right? And I've heard of it, and I'm in England. So my, I hate to call it a stunt, but the driving the car, for example, is one thing. The Savannah Bananas is one that maybe more of your audience will have heard of. Doing something that creates momentum around the brand is, I think, really key. And being seen with that brand to be doing something that changes how people perceive or how people can enjoy is really the beginning. There's lots and lots of people out there talking about content creation and so on. I think that's all great and needs to be done, but a big idea, a hero idea is really what you need to get noticed. Yeah. Kind of sounds like guerrilla marketing. Yeah. You can call it guerrilla marketing on China. I'm not allowed to use the word guerrilla probably, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. that's right, Joe. And the other thing I wanted to share was since coming back to the UK, you know, I started this podcast, which is, you know, as you've done with your show, it's a great way for people to have conversations and to get noticed as well, because not everybody's doing it. 
And the other thing that I would really encourage maybe for people to think about is from a personal branding point of view is the podcast is one, but also about creating, you know, books and authoring. And I wonder if I could just share, Joe, do you think it'd be interesting if I just share about how I created books from the podcast? Because yeah. most people don't, don't want to write, but I found a solution to that. Oh yeah, definitely. Great. So what, what I just would like to share with you and your, you know, the listeners today is that because you're not necessarily comfortable writing doesn't mean to say you can't author a book. Okay. So what the, the technology now is automatic speech recognition you know, ASR technology. So when you speak into your phone um, and on the, on the Apple, you click the microphone and it's dictaphone, you can use tools like Otter, for example, as well, Otter.ai. And what you can do is you can speak to the phone and it can either on your, on your phone itself into pages, it can take the text or into Otter and you can start to get your thoughts down. Now, what I did with the unnoticed entrepreneur, Joe, was I interviewed 50 entrepreneurs. And then what I did was I, I kept each conversation just to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And 20 minutes is about 1,200 words. So you can do the math yourself. You get about 100,000 words, and a book is on average 80,000 words. Okay, so, so if you want to write a book, one, one formula for you that I use is I said, well, okay, if I get 50 people speaking for 20 minutes, I've got 100,000 words, I can lose 20,000 words, and I have a book. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's really not difficult then to, to author a book. Let's call it authoring rather than writing the book. And then what I did was I used a platform called Dabble, Dabble Writer. And so what I do is I took the transcripts from these podcasts and I load them into a platform called Dabble, Dabble Writer. And then I have people in the Philippines who can access Dabble Writer and they do the editing directly in Dabble Writer. It's like a glorified Google Docs in the sky, but just yeah. for book writing. And it's, a, it's an $8 a month subscription, Joe. But what it, what it can mean then is that you can compile a book by speaking into it. In this case, I spoke to people and got the text and had other people do the formatting. Yeah. And then I had the people in the Philippines send the books to people in Ukraine to do the layout for $200. Yeah. And then we put it onto Kindle publishing, which is free. So that whole process nice. cost me no more than $500 and took six months. So I share that just because if I can do that from a garden shed in the UK, then your listeners here maybe could realize that authoring a book isn't a huge obstacle if you just think about it in terms of maybe speaking the book and using some tools and you can find people on Fiverr and Upwork that can help do the editing for you. So hopefully, Joe, you know, that's, if you're like, again, a bit guerrilla marketing because you can pay lots of money to have a book coach and so on, but most of us aren't ready for that. Yeah. But so, so what I do is I publish two books that way, entered some awards, was a finalist, and then a book publisher picked up the, the rights to the series. So, so Joe, I, I guess what I'm trying to share is whether it's driving into the you know, Forbidden City or sitting in a garden shed and interviewing people and making that into a book, it's a little bit of creativity, a little bit of chutzpah, maybe, yeah. as Mason Harris, uh, my friend who, who wrote the book called Chutzpah, said, but we can all do it. 
we can all, you know, we can all do that, Joe. Uh, but maybe just takes a little bit of thinking about it and, and not being worried about what people say can be done, yeah. but thinking about what we can do. Now, ultimately, what's the purpose for writing a, the book? Okay. So the book, you know, people talk about, you know, authority comes from the word author, right? And, and if you have a book, what happens is that if you are, for example, working as a consultant, you can articulate your thoughts in there. You have a book, it takes you to another level. Um, in terms of entry uh, to conversations, to the stage, yeah. you can leave behind a book. But also what I've done with my book is to build relationships, Joe, you know, because you can send a book to somebody, uh, you can receive a book from somebody, and it builds a, a rapport with people that goes beyond saying, here's my business card. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what makes you, you, you nailed it. You did said exactly what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> Okay, good. Writing a book makes you an authority in your niche. That's why you typically write books. A lot of, if if you're writing an autobiography or something, that's one thing. But when you write a book, it it makes you an authority, it gives you validity in your space, and that's why you write the book. And so you you, you nailed it. We didn't rehearse that at all, by the way. No, no, we we, we didn't. But thank <laughs> you for that. I'm phew, I'm glad I can't pass the test. <laughs> Because so, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to write a book. Well, how many can I sell? How much can I sell it for? How much money can I make by writing my book? That's not why you're, you're not making the book. You're not creating the book you know, uh, to try to make you know, money the off average, the book. Yeah. The, the average book in nonfiction only sells 180 books, right? So you have to really move away from it being about that. Yeah. Um, but I, I really just want to reinforce this idea that you don't have to write a book. You can speak a book. And ASR technology now, whether it's with Otter, um, there are other ones as well, like Rev.com that are very low cost um, and they are really enabling technologies. So it's, it's no longer necessary to have perfect prose because readers are looking for authentic guidance and frameworks. And I'm sure that many of the people that you have listening to this show have got amazing experiences um, that other people can learn from. And I think that's the other thing about writing a book, Joe, that, you know, I don't do it for me actually, right? I do it because I have 50, people who have shared with me how to get noticed as entrepreneurs. And there are entrepreneurs in the world that can learn from those 50 people. And this is a great format. It's like 50 masterclass sessions in one book. Yeah. So I'm not doing it for me, actually. I'm really doing it to serve my, my community in a, in a different way than the podcast and the videos yeah. and the articles. Yeah. Wow. Well, Jim, um, we're getting, uh, close to the end of our show here. Uh, so if we want to find your podcast, how do we do that? And then if we want to find your, your, your latest book, how do we do that? Great. Well, thank you. If anyone just go to the unnoticed.cc, um, that is where the podcast is. And I'm just jimajames.com right. is my website. Thank awesome. you, Joe, for the opportunity to share that. Yep. You bet. Yep. Um, and, uh, I do want to give you the last word, Jim, if, if you're talking to somebody, uh, that's looking to get in entrepreneurship, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks getting out of the military, they don't want to get into corporate America. You know, they might be five, 10 or more years in or even retiring from the military and they don't want to go back to the bottom of corporate America and climb that ladder. So entrepreneurship, business owner, very appealing to the veteran community. When, when we talk about getting started in entrepreneurship, what kind of advice comes to mind? 
Okay, well, thanks. And I, and I think also of my cousin, who is a, a captain in the Gurkhas, um, you know, in the British Regiment oh, wow. as well, because he and I have just these conversations. And I, and I think that I would say that if you're going to start a business, don't worry that it's going to be your first and only business. Most of us are portfolio entrepreneurs, you know, and, yeah. you know, I've had eight businesses on three continents. And the business that you start now may not be the business that you're running in three to four years' time. Right. What's really important about entrepreneurship is to, to start and to learn and not worry about the successes and the failures as long yeah. as you're moving forward. Uh, and not to be wed as it is from an ego point of view that it's got to be the biggest or the most successful because often the first one isn't the biggest or the best, but it's the right. journey um, that's important. So take it, take the first steps and, and be kind to yourself and learn and get, <laughs> and get support. Absolutely. Uh, put another way that we've said many times on the show, entrepreneurship is a process. So all those failures you learn along the way, you're learning the process and then you go on to the next, you know, it's, it's just another vehicle to the fight. So um, learn the entrepreneurial process and eventually you will be successful. Well said, Joe. Thank you for saying that. So, you know, it's one campaign after another. Yeah. Many battles make the war. That's right. All right, Jim. Well, thanks. Uh, you shared some phenomenal uh, golden nuggets and words of wisdom and uh, um, look forward to your future success with your uh, fairly fledgling podcast, but well along the way in the last couple of years. Joe, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate what you're doing. So thank you so much. You bet. Appreciate it. Thanks. We're out. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>